I'm excited to be here. I don't know if you remember us, but I believe Ministries was with your church maybe four or five years ago. Is that what we thought? And a lot has happened since. Renee and I, we are parents now to two twin boys, right? And they're out of their mind, okay? They're nuts, and we love them. They're two years old. They look nothing like us. They have light brown hair. They have the bluest eyes you will ever see. And oftentimes people think we stole them from somewhere, right? But they're the joy of our lives. They're there with grandma and grandpa both sets because all hands on deck because they're a lot. They're two years old and they ride around on ATVs. I'm telling you. And so Reverend Reed, hi. Last time they were confused as to why I was inside the TV and they were trying to, to grab the TV to go inside the TV with us. But they are being well taken care of. They know that they're going to be with grandma and grandpa, um, the in-laws, and they are excited. Okay? And so before we begin, let us have a word of prayer. And I'm excited to share with you what God has prepared. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, man, is it good to be in your house. And Lord, I say house, but we are the church. It's good to be here together to fellowship, to sing the blessed assurance that we have. And Lord, this morning I ask that we would continuously turn our eyes upon Jesus. And the only way in which we will be able to do that is through faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today's message I entitled... I am the way, the truth, the life. This is Jesus speaking. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to John 14, 6. And Jesus starts off by saying this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. And then he shares with them something incredible. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. He says, I'm not a liar. I'm not going to tell you something that is not real and true. My promises never fail. And he says, I will go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you for myself. I'm going to make mansions so that you can live in it. And so if I build it, I am going to fill it just like I did in the creation of the world. Whatever he makes, the spaces he creates, he fills. He says, and where I go, you, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then Thomas, oh, Thomas, he says, wait, wait, I don't know. Where are you going? I have no idea. And Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And then Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, is what Jesus says. Jesus is reminding them, telling them, explaining to them that the just shall live by faith. To believe in these things, we need to have faith. The Bible affirms in Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who goes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we believe? Jesus starts off by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. I am the way, the truth, the life, the just shall live by faith. 
Jesus is the way. In the Greek, the way or the road seems to symbolically mean I am the way of doing things. I am this guy. Remember, before Jesus shows up, there is all the sanctuary. There's the traditions and the rituals. In order for you to be forgiven, you'd have to there grab your lamb, your animal. You'd go through all the process of the sanctuary. Remember, we read that in Exodus. Moses is given to, God gives to Moses all of the stuff. All of the things that he is to build so that we can inscribe in our minds and in the hearts of those people the plan of salvation. And it's so amazing. We start to see all the symbols. But one, because I don't have time to share all, but I love the sanctuary. I get so excited speaking about the sanctuary. But when you entered into the sanctuary, there is only one way to get inside. Because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so it, there was no back doors. There was no curtains on the side. You could only enter it through one way. But we know that when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens to that veil that separates the holy from the most holy place? It rips from top to bottom. Right? Rips from top to bottom. When Jesus says, it is finished, boom, that veil rips in two. Jesus, now all the things that were pointing, that were symbolizing, that were pointing to Jesus, in the person of Jesus, it was complete. And amazingly enough, there is a thief there on the cross. This thief on the cross has done so many bad decisions, so many bad mistakes. But he starts to reflect on all the decisions of his life. He looks to the person of Jesus and he thinks, this is the way. And when he looks to Jesus, Jesus always points us to the right direction. He points us to himself. And through him, we have access to the Father. You know, Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, because when we look at the thief of the cross, there was nothing in him that would justify, that would offer him salvation. But, Galatians continues, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. This is why the just shall live by faith. When the thief looks to himself... He has no way of being saved. When you look to yourself and when I look to myself, there's no way I can be saved. But when the thief looks to Jesus and when I look to Jesus, when you look to Jesus, there is no way we can be lost. That is the good news of the gospel. And this thief looks to Jesus and in Jesus he finds the way. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And in those moments where they were together, Jesus and the thief, quickly his life passes before him. He hears the word of Jesus. He hears Jesus call out to those who were crucifying him, saying, 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there was something stirring in the heart of that thief. And when he looked to Jesus, he found his way. Are you lost? In Jesus, there is the way. And how do we know? Oh, man, the Bible affirms us. It tells us that when the word became flesh, when Jesus becomes flesh and he dwells among us, and as we behold Jesus, by looking at him, by beholding him, we become transformed into his image, and he reflects the glory of God. And he is, the Bible tells us, grace and truth. Jesus will then affirm next, after he says, I am the way, he says, I am the truth. We know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For when we come to him, we must believe that he will find a way when there seems to be no way. And when the thief thought, there is no way, there is no hope. But when he looks to Jesus, he finds his way. You know, I want to share you, give you a little taste of what we're doing at I Believe Ministries. It's so many miracles, it was hard to just pick a couple. If you remember, I Believe Ministries came to your church maybe four or five years ago, and we were a small group. God blessed us. I don't know if at that time we already had this place, this location. We bought a property. My family lives on this property. And God gave us, God is a generous God. And he gave us a space, not for our selfishness, but that we would be stewards of his possessions to be a blessing to others. We are stewards of our talents, our resources, our abilities, and our time. And as we started to grow, what we do at I Believe Ministries is we do night of worship every other Sabbath from 4 to 10. And there is tons of young adults. Just so that you get an idea, we started maybe 20, 30. We are over 300, and I have to cap it at 50 people every time because we just can't take all the number. It's a 10-acre property. It's a big space. It's a big property. However, we have a problem with the bathroom issue. The property is big, but the house is small. And so what do we do? Well, typically what you and I would do is that we would uh, depend on the strength of our biceps. Because there was no way. You know, it doesn't require much faith when you have to pay your house mortgage and you have tons of money in the bank. That doesn't require faith. But when you have to pay your house mortgage and you have zero dollars in the bank, now that takes faith. But in Jesus, we find a way. And so what do we begin to do? Young adults, young people, I think our age is between 25 to maybe 40, 45, we were in this general location of going to college, leaving college, starting families. And so we begin to pray. Can you imagine a bunch of young people, 5 a.m. every single morning praying? And we put everyone there on Zoom because, and I make them turn their cameras on because I don't want anyone snoring on the other side. And so I say, you turn your cameras on, mics on, and we pray together. We study during the day. I send the reading materials. Everyone studies. And then the next morning, we talk about what we read, a few questions, and then we pray. And we said, Lord, what do we do? We are growing and growing and growing, but we need to find a way that we could have more people. 
And man, there's so many details, and the story is so long. But long story short, a few, a couple weeks into our prayer, we set in our hearts, we purposed in our hearts that we were going to pray for 40 days. Before the 40 days were over, a few weeks into it, someone says, well, why don't we build an outdoor bathroom, outdoor shower, sort of a pavilion? And so we began to pray for this. And I kid you not, in one day, we raised $12,000. In one day. You know, we had all sorts of people, older people, some pastors. Impossible. You're never going to be able to raise that amount. Surely I will not. But he is the way. We start to build the I Believe Pavilion. You can go there on ibelieve.ministries, and there on the highlights, there's construction. And you can go through all of the construction of the I Believe Pavilion. You can go to Amanda Leonardi 26, that's my personal, and we can, you can see my beautiful River and Reed. Okay, so we will stay connected when I'm gone. But long story short, we're starting to build and build and build, and just two, last Saturday, when we had I Believe, right, it's every other Saturday. And we saw there on the forecast that it was going to rain. And the problem is that the pavilion, we were doing the roof, we put the tarp, but because it was already close to time, we're doing a lot of the labor ourselves to drop cost. And so what do we do? We say, okay, we have to do this roof. We're going to put the tarp, but it was already getting into Sabbath, and we weren't able to finish. We had to put plastic on the roof. Why? Because if water made contact with the roof, it would mold, it would um, expand, right? It would expand. It, it would mess up the whole process. And so sure enough, it's Friday. We say we can't, there's nothing else we could do here. We needed a way because there seemed like there was no way. And so the next morning, my husband wakes up, my father and they said, look at the forecast. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. We have to do something. We're going to lose all the stuff. We're going to lose all the materials. And I'm over there preparing the message for that evening. People already texting me, are we canceling? Are we canceling? Are we canceling? Ignore all of them. And I get a phone call from my husband who's just outside. He says, listen, we got a problem. We started to put the plastic here on the roof. But we ran out of material. What are your thoughts about us going to the store and buying more material? I said, Renee, are you really asking me that? I said, I don't even know what you guys are doing in the roof in the first place. And I said, for, for added good measure, you know the plastic that you've already put on the roof? Rip it off. I said, let me tell you something. When God makes promises, we don't get to manipulate and misinterpret it as is convenience to us. We know what Exodus 20 says, the Sabbath is God's holy day, sanctified. And who shall not work? Not me, not you, not anyone, not even the animals that are in my property can work. And so I said, what do we do? We pray. All the plastic was taken off. I get to the pavilion there, and there's Tim there. He's, a, he's an older gentleman that helps us with the property. And he's there, him and my dad are trying to just clean up the stuff. And I said, what are you guys doing? We're cleaning things. We're putting things to the side because if it rains and everyone at least has a place to run. Put down the brooms. Put everything down. And now we pray. We did what we could do. Now I'm not saying you pray and then you cross your arms and no, no, no. 
You pray, you act, you do what you can do, and then when you get to the point where you cannot do, then it's God's turn, and now you got to get out of the way. Step out of the way. And so we start to pray and pray and pray. And amazingly enough, as the cars are driving to come down the long driveway that is, I believe, they said, Amanda, as soon as we turn into the neighborhood, it was pouring rain on Beeline. That's the road there right before you get. As soon as we turned in, no rain. When there seems like there is no way, God will provide a way. When we claim his promises, when we are obedient to his promises, all the promises are yes and amen in the person of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. One more miracle. Man, my time is cutting off. But one more miracle. We started to build and build on the pavilion, but as you know, money does not grow on trees. And so the money starts to dwindle, and my husband, he's the numbers guy. My husband is a walking Excel spreadsheet. And oftentimes I dream with both feet off the ground, and he's under me calculating, least I implode. That's how we work. I am the dreamer. I am the extrovert. I am the do first, think later. And he's, Lord have mercy, put the brakes on this woman. And so he's like, Amanda, I'm looking at the numbers here and the I believe accounts and all the things we have to do. Maybe we should pause. Maybe we should stop. I said, Renee, until there is a dollar in that account, we keep moving forward. You know why? Because God is the God of manna. He's the God of manna. He's the God of one day at a time. God is not going to throw $50,000 in the I Believe account if I don't need $50,000. He is the God of one day at a time. And sure enough, the money's going down and everyone's praying. Y'all better pray. When there is no way, he will provide a way. And so surely enough, we start praying, praying. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday morning. I walked my boys there to get the mailbox to get the letters in the mailbox, and I open, and there's uh, a letter made out to I Believe. So that's interesting. Open it, $6,000 check that's going to be the end, the amount that we need to finish off the I Believe Pavilion. <laughs> God will provide a way when there seems to be no way, but you have to believe. You need to go to him like you believe he can do something about your problem. It then tells us that Jesus says that he is the truth. He is the truth. In a world that we live in where truth is relative, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and you can have a different truth and they're all truth. No. Jesus says, I am the truth. Matthew 13, there's an interesting little parable there. And it's going to help us expand this topic on truth. Jesus there speaking in parables because he loves parables. Jesus loves a good story. Did you know your brains were made for stories? Jesus is a storyteller. And he says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus, when speaking stories and parables, he uses things that happen in that time. It was custom to bury treasures under the earth so that thieves and robbers would not go and steal from you. 
So when Jesus begins telling the story, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. In their minds, it's like light bulbs going off. I know exactly what he's talking about. Because I have hidden my treasure under my field so that the thieves and the robbers do not come and steal from me. So they understand what Jesus is talking about. To fishermen, he spoke about fish. To farmers, he spoke about planting and sowing and reaping. You get the point. And oftentimes, when this treasure was hidden under the ground, well, the same way you forget where you place your keys often, they too forgot. And most times, or oftentimes, not only would they forget that the treasure was buried under that field in that specific location, but if for whatever reason they died, if they were imprisoned, if they had to be exiled or separated from their land, well, the next owner would experience this good fortune. Now, imagine with me the scene. You have a man who rents a piece of land, who hires land. He grabs his oxen, his animal, and he begins to cultivate the land that he has rented, that he has borrowed. Well, as he's planting, as he's digging, as he's cultivating, he realizes, I struck gold. I found a treasure. And so what does he do? He grabs that treasure that he found. He reburies it, makes it all the same way he found it. He runs home. He sells everything he has. His family and his friend thinks that he lost his mind. He's nuts. He's crazy. He's gone mad. He sells all that he has to get the money to acquire the land because he knows what they do not know. In this parable, the field containing the treasure is the Bible. And the treasure that is found in the Bible is the gospel is the way, the truth, the life, is the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace, the good news that the just shall live by faith. But as I was reflecting on this parable, I thought, well, why should treasure be hidden? Why do you have to work so hard to find treasure? Why couldn't Jesus just lay treasure there on the field? God does not conceal truth from us. Don't miss this. God does not conceal truth from us. In fact, this word truth here in John 4, 16 literally means unhidden. Look how amazing. Don't miss it. The invisible God becomes visible in the person of Jesus. Jesus doesn't hide truth. He shows, he displays, he is truth. God has no desire from keeping truth from you. However, when Christ gave to the Jewish people abundant evidence that he was the Messiah, his teachings called for a radical change in their lives and their practices and in their customs. And if they were to receive Christ, they must give up cherished traditions, their selfishness, their ungodly practices and ambitions. And so now truth was colliding with their selfishness. Truth oftentimes requires for us to change. We don't change truth. We change ourselves before truth. We don't manipulate and misinterpret the gospel to fit our lifestyle. We change our lifestyle to fit the gospel. 
While they professed to believe the teachings of the Old Testament, they refused to accept the testimony of who Jesus was. They refused to acknowledge his life and his character, and truth was hidden from them. You see, the treasure of the gospel, the way, the truth, and the life was among them. The word became flesh and dwelt among them. But they rejected the greatest gift heaven had to offer. Do we similarly reject the greatest gift that heaven has to offer? Isaiah 29 reminds us that while these people come near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, yet their hearts are far away from me. Ellen White would then say that many have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, yet they cannot hear. They have intellect, yet they cannot discern the hidden treasures. Lord, have mercy. She's talking about me. Why, then, could they not discern truth? You know why? Because oftentimes truth is not in harmony with our ambitious desires. It's right in our face, but we have veils over our eyes and veils over our hearts. Ours is a faith that seeks worldly treasures and not heavenly treasures. For the sake of gaining worldly possessions, honor, riches, power, Many times, we want the worldly over the heavenly. And to us, the heavenly treasures are hidden. Look at what 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says. If our gospel be hid, it be hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them if it is hidden it is hidden to those which are lost if we can't discern truth it is because our minds are blinded not because truth is hidden rejected truth leads to hardened hearts remember pharaoh when you read there in exodus 4 that it says that i will harden the heart of pharaoh and he shall not let my people go During our 5 a.m. Bible studies, we have our youngest members, 12 years old. Can you imagine? 40 days turned to 60 days. That is now going to turn into 100 days because we ain't stopping. 12 years old wakes up every single day at 5 a.m. with her camera on and is actively participating. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. If you will not speak, the rocks will. The 12-year-old girl will. And she said, Amanda, why does God harden his heart? That's not very nice. Why would he do that? And we were going back and forth. And Ellen White says something amazing, particularly about this story. She says this, there was no exercise of supernatural power to harden the heart of the king. God didn't go there and say, okay, uh, Pharaoh, he's going to have a hard heart so I could do really amazing things through him. There was no supernatural power to harden the heart of Pharaoh. But why was his heart hardened? 
The seeds of rebellion that he sowed when he rejected the first miracle produced their harvest. Why? Because rejected truth leads to hardened hearts. As he continued to venture from one degree of stubbornness to another, his heart became more and more hardened until he called to look upon the cold, dead face of his firstborn. Can you imagine? God has no pleasure, no joy in hardening anyone's heart or blinding anyone's mind. The treasure is not hidden. It was made visible. It was unhidden in truth in Jesus Christ. I am the truth. He displayed truth on the cross that all might look and believe. I have one more for you. It says this. It is not God that blinds the eyes of men or hardens their hearts. He sends them light to correct their errors but, and to lead them in safe paths. It is by rejection of this light that the eyes are blinded and that the heart is hardened. Often the process is gradual and almost imperceptible. You and I, there needs to occur a transformation in our hearts that we might have eyes that see, ears that hear, and an intellect that understands. There's a lot of people who have a bunch of knowledge, but in the words of Charles Spurgeon, it only makes them the bigger fools. We need wisdom, knowledge we have enough of. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. Everyone knows how to fix everyone else's life except our own. We need the way and we need the truth. 1 Corinthians 2.13 affirms, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Remember, Jesus looks to Nicodemus and says, you need to be born again. And then he tries to be fresh with Jesus. How can a grown man enter back his mom's belly and be born again? You know what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. You need to be born of the Spirit. Because spiritual things are only spiritually discerned and carnal things are carnally discerned. It says this, for the things of God, the things of the spirit, they are foolishness to him for the natural man. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Have the things of God become foolishness to us? There's a quote that I really like. Joanne Wolfgang, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. And it's a quote that I use every time and all the time that I have a chance. And it says this, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Oh, how good is that? Look at that. I'm going to say it again. None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Remember the rich young ruler? Oh, man, he thought he knew truth. He had tons of knowledge. His checklist, Christianity, check, check, check. And yet when he comes to Jesus, rejected truth led to hardened heart. And he walks away sorrowfully because he has great possessions. The problem was not his money. The problem was where money fell in the hierarchy of his life. He neglected the way and the truth and the life for the worldly for the earthly over the heavenly. But then that story starts with that story and the disciples, I mean, 
They're like, oh, man, if a Jewish rich man isn't getting into heaven, no one is. The disciples now, they do not, they do not know what they do. They're shocked. They're dumbfounded, flabbergasted. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, what is impossible with man becomes possible with God. And here you had a rich Jewish man with a hardened heart, but externally he looked real good. Lip service and heart was far from God. But then you had a wee little man who climbed on a sycamore tree. What was his name? There you go. That's right. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he is a tax collector. And he stole from people. And he does all sorts of things. He climbed that tree. Jesus knows he's there. Jesus was, oh, I'm so surprised. No, no, no. Jesus knew. And Jesus says, come down, boy. I'm having dinner, lunch, breakfast, whatever, brunch with you. He comes down, and the disciples saw that was impossible with man became possible with God. You know why? Because when Jesus infiltrates his mind with truth, the truth will set you free. Ah, God is good. The truth will set you free as it did to that wee little man on a sycamore tree. The Spirit of God started to work in his heart and in his mind, and he became a different person. Why? It is impossible for you to remain the same as you behold Jesus Christ. Impossible. By beholding, you will become changed. Paul says it's from day to day to glory to glory to faith to faith. Ellen White says that no man by one leap reaches sanctification, but it's the work of a lifetime. So we have to work, and the process is long, and the process takes time. But you and I, we will change. Because the good work that he started in you and in me, he is faithful to bring it to fruition. And then Jesus ends by saying, I am life. I am life. Let me tell you something. Satan does not care if you have a house or a tent. He doesn't care if you're divorced or married. If you have two kids or no kids. He doesn't care if you have money in the bank or you have student debt. He doesn't care if you come to church or if you stay home. He doesn't care. What he wants is to steal your faith. He wants to steal your belief that he can do abundantly, exceedingly more than you could have ever dreamed. He wants to steal your faith. Remember the definition of faith in the Bible? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word substance there, like subway, is a thing that comes beneath. So your marriage, your money, your profession, whatever, this is on top. Irrelevant, he could care less. You could be a healthy Christian, you could be a sick Christian. It don't matter to him. But if he can steal your faith, if he can steal your foundation, your whole house comes crumbling down. He couldn't steal the faith of the thief on the cross. That's all he had. When he looked to Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, I have enough grace for you. I have enough mercy for you. 
Remember, Peter, oh, Peter. <laughs> I identify with Peter. Jesus is walking on waters, and Jesus says, that looks, Peter says, that looks cool. I want to walk on water, too. He says, Lord, may I? Jesus says, sure, Peter, come out. And Peter starts taking steps, right? He's like, look at me, walking on water. But Peter, prideful, cocky, little narcissist, he looks back. This is, this is me, okay? This is me visualizing the scene, thinking about what would I do. And if I was walking on water and y'all are in the boat, you better believe that I would look back to say, look at me versus look at you. I'd say, look at this. Peter looks away. In my mind, he looks back to the disciples and see like, ha ha, right? Look at me versus look at you. And sure enough, he starts to sink. The thief looked at Jesus and was saved. He was given life. The Peter looks away from Jesus, and he's on the verge of drowning had it not been for the merciful hand of God to pull him back up. Peter, don't think you're doing this on your own. I am the hero, the superhero of the story, not you. You look to me and live. That's what the Bible says. Turn to me and be saved. Isaiah 45, 22. Jesus says, turn to me and you will find the way. Turn to me and you will find truth. Turn to me and you will have eternal life. And all those who come boldly to his throne will find grace and assurance in time of need. All those who look will be saved. It's the serpent on the stick, remember? The Israelites, there was no supernatural power in a serpent that was lifted up. But it was what that serpent represented. When we look to him, we will live. You know, Jesus, in order to give you and I life, he gave of himself. Jesus is the life because he gave his life for us. And when we die, we die without assurance. Sure, we will experience the first death, the physical death, but we are secure in him. And when that trumpet sounds, we are going home. We are going home. You know, when Jesus was there on the cross, Renee's going to get ready to sing for us. When Jesus was there, extended on the cross, forgiving those who are treating him poorly, offering eternal life for the thief on the cross. I can imagine that before he got there, that Gethsemane was probably a tough experience. You know, Jesus, he is God, but he was also human. It's hard for us to grasp both concepts all in one. And all throughout heaven, we will still have so many questions that God will answer and he'll have a long time to answer we won't understand all things but as it pertains to your salvation as it pertains to the way the truth and the life you will have more than enough and so Jesus there on the garden of Gethsemane he is praying with the father and he's asking God father if you are willing could you remove my cup of suffering he asks him three times. 
But he closes his prayer with saying, but not my will, but your will be done. Faith in the Father. Satan could not steal the faith of Jesus. He knew who the Father was, and because of it, he knew who he was. Our world is going through an identity crisis. No one knows who they are. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Where where do I belong? As a marriage and family therapist, I see it all the time. Teenagers, grown men, grown women, married, divorced, doesn't matter, who have yet to know the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus goes to the cross, it wasn't because it felt good, but it's because his faith was strengthened by a living relationship with the Father. In order to taste and see that the Lord is good, we need to come to him believing that he can, that he will, that he is able. You are the apple of God's eye. And there is nothing that he will withhold from you that it is for your good. Sometimes you won't understand. Do you understand why John the Baptist had to be beheaded? There's no good answer for that. Because of the jealousy of a woman, the hatred of a woman, because some little girl danced the dance. There's no good reason. But John the Baptist went there to get his head cut off, knowing that my Redeemer lives. So today, church, arise those who sleep. Awake those who sleep, and Christ will give you life. Don't harden your heart towards truth. Allow truth to radically change you because it will. But God is patient. He's a caring father. And the same way that when my husband and I, we go hiking through the preserve behind our property, whenever they get tired, we pick them up, we hold them in our arms, and we walk back home. This world is not going to be easy. We are in the middle of a war. But Jesus will take you in his arms. And he will bring you back home. As Jesus was there on the cross after he submitted not to his will, not to his wants, not to his feelings. He submitted to the will of the Father. Because when through prayer and Bible study, we get to know the character of God. We enter into a relationship with God. His will becomes our will. His desires become our desires. Our heart will beat to the rhythm of his. And all of his promises will be fulfilled. Not in your timing, not in my timing. In his timing and in his way. Because he knows the end from the beginning, not you or not me. Ellen White says that we will look back at the darkest part of our ways with thankfulness. Can you imagine? I don't know how, but I believe it through faith. As Jesus makes his way, as nails go through his hands and through his feet... He wasn't focused on the cross. That was the instrument used to put him to death. He wasn't focused on the cross. Don't focus on the problem because the problem is not your problem. I'm going to say a bunch of, I'm going to use the word problem a hundred times, but follow me. The problem is not the problem. 
And I'm not here to minimize your suffering and to minimize your pain, whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional. I'm not here to minimize it, but the problem is not the problem. The problem is when we don't focus on Jesus, and now we have a real big problem. Focus on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus, and the things of this world will fade away. Eyes on Jesus, because our problem is not the problem. Satan will cause problems, but really he is after your faith, and the one who can do exceedingly abundantly more. Believe in him. My father, believe also in me. I went to prepare mansions and I'm going to come back. Why would I not? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And when Jesus went and hung on that cross, he didn't focus on the cross. Why would he? It would scare me. It would make me tremble. It would make me afraid. But perfect love has no fear. And when Jesus hung on that cross, he didn't focus on the cross. He saw you behind the cross. He focused on you, and he focused on me. Valentine's Day, this is Valentine's Day. The day that Jesus hung on the cross and behind the cross, and the future, the reward, his goal, his purpose was you. You and I have everything we will ever need to gain eternal life. Not because of my works or your works, but because the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 12, 2, this is my ending verse. And then Renee is going to sing. And he's going to remind us that battles are not fought with our biceps, they're fought on our knees. Our God is a relational God who wants to have an intimate relationship with you. Not a mediocre, not a lukewarm, not a superficial, an abundant, real relationship with you. Hebrews 12, 2, the author and finisher of our faith, who for joy was set before him, endured the cross. Can you imagine? He had joy when he was on the cross, when he thought of you, the apple of his eye, his beloved. He had joy because perfect love casts out fear. It says, despising the shame and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't look at the temporary cross, but behind he set his eyes on you. As Renee sings, I want you to reflect and allow and choose and will that he would be the way, the truth, and the life, not for the world, but for you.
see is the battle you see my victory when all i see is the mountain you see a mountain move and as i walk through the valley your love surrounds me yeah there's nothing to fear now for i am safe with you so when i fight i will fight on my knees with my hands lifted high Oh God, the battle belongs to you In every fear I will lay at your feet I sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you Belongs to you And if you are for me, who can be against me? Yeah. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see on the ashes, you see the Thank you, God. Thank you, God. When all I see is a cross, God, you see an empty tomb. So when I fight, I will fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I will lay at your feet. I sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our shine in the shadow win every battle nothing can stand against the power of our God almighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power of our God shine in the shadow Win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. 
see the battle, you see the victory. When I see the mountain, you see the mountain move before me. Oh, Lord God, oftentimes we are focused on the cross, the pain and the suffering in our lives. But Lord, you see the empty tomb. And when you hung on that cross, you counted it as joy. Perfect love was displayed on that cross. When you died for us. And so, Lord, do not allow for Satan to steal our faith. He can steal our houses. He can steal our families. He can steal our children. He can steal our jobs. He can steal our money. But do not allow him to touch our faith. Oh, God, that's a scary prayer. But, Lord, if faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, we need substance. We need a strong foundation and we will go on this journey as just believing acting that in you we find the way the truth and the life thank you lord thank you thank you for all that you have done for us for being everything that we need in the person of the great i am and so, Lord, as we turn our eyes to you, as we turn our focus to you, turn your eyes upon Jesus. As we look into your lovely face, may the things of this world slowly fade away. In your name I pray. Amen. 